It's time to talk UK sports with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is the Leach Reports Radio Network. Join in the discussion by tweeting your questions to at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. And you can call 877-904-1080. Now, along with an outstanding lineup of guests and broadcast to the most passionate fan base in America, the Big Blue Nation, here's the voice of the Wildcats. Tom Leach. Hello, everybody. It is the Thursday edition of the Leach Report. Still uh, raining, but nicer weather is on the way for the weekend. And uh, too bad that uh, we couldn't have had it work out to where there could have been some level of uh, of attendance at the uh, the Derby because it's going to be a beautiful day um, down in Louisville on Saturday. Sunny and 75 and zero rain. My uh, good friend, the late John Asher, used to always say it's always sunny and 75 on Derby Day, and this year it is going to be that. And not raining, finally, for the first time in a, in a long time. Uh, coming up, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the, the Derby later in the show with Randy Moss from NBC, who will be covering, I believe, from the uh, studio and not actually here at uh, Churchill. We'll talk with Randy about that. Uh, also, maybe a little about the NFL since he covers that uh, for NBC as well. Justin Rowland from Cats Illustrated and Mike Pratt will lead us off here on the show today. So that's our guest lineup. We'll roll right into the Wildcat news of the day. And it starts with Jay Lucas talking to the media yesterday after his hiring by the Kentucky basketball program in a, uh, a role that is somewhat of a recruiting coordinator, special assistant to Cal, maybe I think is the title. Uh, anyway, he said he's not looking to make any major changes to anything Kentucky's doing in, in recruiting, just trying to streamline things, take some things off the plates of the other coaches. Seems like a, a great hire when you lose a guy like Kenny Payne that um, impacted so many aspects of the program and so you get to bring in a guy like jay lucas uh and part of this is you know kenny was so valuable he was paid to a level that you could afford two guys and still not exceed the salary of of kenny perhaps so uh jay lucas is a great addition to the staff probably will be in an encore role at some point when the next opening comes up would be my guess but he said uh, that uh, he was actually coming to Kentucky as a player until Tubby Smith left for Minnesota. Uh, Kentucky fans uh, remember the recruitment of, of Lucas and Patrick Patterson. Uh, Jay will be on with us uh, tomorrow here on the show. We'll uh, talk a little bit about uh, this. He was also asked about the, the racial justice video that the players put out. Uh, he dismissed any concerns about any um, about some negative reaction from uh, some fans and any impact that would have on recruiting. He said prospects are looking to see what stands programs are taking. Um, and uh, Jay said, in his opinion, it wasn't as political as some uh, think. So uh, that was yesterday with Jay Lucas and the media. And um, now he settles into his new role of helping Kentucky with its recruiting efforts. A writer for Saturday Down South, ranked the top 25 college football coaches, number 15 on his list, Mark Stoops. He uh, writes, Stoops' program might not have a ceiling to be a yearly top 15 team, but if you think Kentucky is falling off the face of the earth anytime soon, you've not been paying attention. Stoops may be putting his deepest, most talented team on the field in his tenure at Kentucky. And... 
that will happen on September 26th down at Auburn. But there is college football actually on TV tonight. Uh, CBS Sports Network has, I think it's um, Southern Miss and South Alabama, I believe. And uh, Central Arkansas is playing again tonight against uh, UAB, I think. So uh, a couple of games tonight. Uh, that, the latter one's on ESPN3, I believe. And then Saturday afternoon, EKU, Eastern Kentucky, and plays Marshall on ESPN in the afternoon. And then uh, that evening, CBS, uh, CBS Main Channel or CBS Sports Network has BYU and Navy. So you get a little taste of college football and then a lot more the next weekend. Last night, Miami Heat beat the Bucks to go up 2-0 on the top seed in the East. The top two seeds in the East... Uh, Milwaukee and Toronto, both in 0-2 holes now. Uh, and Bam Adebayo had a big bucket late. Shot clock's winding down, and he hits a free-throw line jumper to keep Miami ahead. And then Tyler Hero uh, played well with 17 off the bench for the Heat. Latest rankings from 24-7 sports for college basketball prospects. Uh, note a, a couple of significant moves for guys Kentucky is pursuing hunter salas moves from 25th to 6th in the latest rankings for the next class damian collins big man from texas goes up 10 spots to number 19 nolan hickman the point guard from which from whom kentucky got a commitment he stays at number 30 in these latest rankings links to the stories that we talk about you can find those on the bud light leach report page at tomleachky.com Our show is served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Mike Pratt in the on-deck circle when we come right back. It is the Leach Report Radio Network. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can follow Tom on Twitter. It's at TomLeachKY. Our Kentucky Derby coverage this week, presented again by Claiborne Farm, doing the usual unusually well. And Greg Hall is a former Courier-Journal reporter um, on the notes team now for Churchill Downs, gathering notes about the horses each day for Churchill's feed. And he uh, tweets out that King Guillermo did not go to the racetrack today, the trainer says, quote, we have a little problem. We have to wait until the afternoon. This is the horse that uh, is coming off the long layoff, owned by Victor Martinez, former Major League Baseball player. So uh, a neat angle there to the race. Uh, hopefully, having since we've already lost Art Collector from the field, hopefully we don't lose King Guillermo. But uh, this news doesn't sound great. We'll see how it plays out. Hopefully it's uh, nothing major. Uh, ClaiborneFarm.com to book a tour of uh, the farm over in my hometown of Paris. Mike Pratt joins us now. Uh, it's uh, certainly a different kind of derby week, partner. <laughs> yeah, buddy, it is. I'll tell you what, there seems to be uh, a lack of interest. Uh, people are kind of numb to it in, uh, versus being excited. And, you know, everything is on rock and roll in Jefferson County or in the, in the state of Kentucky, usually. Yeah, uh, at this yeah it's always such a festive uh, time and uh, yeah, so much yeah, excitement. yeah. yeah. People saying happy derby. Happy That's right. Derby. You know, and, and now if, if you go out, people, you know, I mean, they, you don't get that kind of response. But uh, we'll get through it. Uh, it should be an interesting race. Um, 
You're going to try to beat the favorite? Beat the favorite, yeah. <laughs> you going to try to do it? Yeah, I'm going to. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try to play a try and uh, key key off him and put some long shots underneath. You know, and, and just give that a shot because what's what's he going to pay? Uh, well, if if we he wins, it'll be somewhere pay. even money or less. Yeah, he's got to pay what two eighty, two sixty. What he's got to pay. Um, uh, for three to five, yeah, it's about the, the around three dollars, I think. I don't know. Uh, well, you know, I, I tell you what, if you got money to spare, go put a hundred bucks on the horse. Yeah, you know, you get back what a dollar, a dollar for two. You get back fifty bucks. I mean, you you know, you can't get that at the bank. <laughs> <laughs> they call him. Yeah, uh, he, he's a terrific horse. I've won some money on him this year. I've had him. Uh, all of this year, I didn't have him as a two-year-old, but I fed him all of this year. Uh, well, that's uh, tis the law we're talking about, and um, he's going to be the biggest favorite. It looks like at the Derby since Easy Goer in '89, uh, who lost, by the way, the last horse that was less than even money that won. Now, I haven't been that many, uh, with especially as fields have gotten larger, but uh, was spectacular bid in '79. Uh, Let's shift to a little baseball uh, because. Uh, like uh, me, you're a longtime Reds fan, and uh, it was sad to see the news of the passing of Tom Seaver, who's most notable for his accomplishments with the Mets and leading them to the World Series with the Amazing Mets in 69. But I remember, I'm sure you do too, when he got traded to the Reds in 77, that sent our, part of a deal that sent our buddy Doug Flynn to New York, unfortunately. But when the Reds got Seaver, you thought, oh, wow, here, you know, here comes Big Red Machine 2. They're going to... And they, uh, it never did quite happen, but he did pitch a no-hitter while he was in Cincinnati. Yeah, he had a, he had a nice run with the Reds. There's no question. This guy was a very, very special pitcher. I mean, a uh, big, strong guy, just threw it, used, that, uh, used his bottom part of his body, his legs, to push off that rubber and brought the heater. I mean, you know, he was unflappable. Uh, and from, I, I never met the fellow, followed him, because I'm a baseball fan. And, uh, but from all I've heard, uh, talking with Marty and Brenneman and others, uh, he, he was a first-class guy. And uh, that means a lot when people say that in a world where there can be a bunch of uh, doofuses, you know. <laughs> and uh, this guy was class all the way. And, and uh, I, I remember about a year ago, Tom, reading about him and some of his former teammates went to California to see him because he, had, uh, he was getting, I think it was dementia. And uh, they yes. went out to see him at his uh, winery. You know, that's something I wish I could have made enough money in the pros to have a winery. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> Tom Seaver had a winery, man, and that was pretty damn cool. So uh, baseball will miss him. If you're a sports fan, you'll miss him, and you'll remember him well. He had something uh, called Louis Body Dementia, which is uh, the same disease that uh, actually Robin Williams had been diagnosed with. Um before he uh, took his own life. And uh, the th- so that was certainly sad. COVID-19 was uh, apparently a contributing factor to uh, Seaver's passing. The thing I remember about uh, Tom Seaver is he- the pictures you would see, you talked about that drive and the lower body that he had as a, as a pitcher, is the, pic- the pictures where he, if you um, ever do workouts where they tell you to do a lunge, where you stick one leg out and you've, mm-hmm. you bend that knee and then that other knee uh, – ideally can touch the ground or think about when a first baseman stretches out to catch a throw and that uh, 
uh, one knee can actually get touch the ground. That's what the pictures of Seaver, you'd see that uh, uh, back leg, the knee almost touching the ground. Yeah, that was uh, – uh, he, he was a guy that do, by doing that, everybody followed, tried to copy, tried to use that rubber to push off and use that lower body. He had, he had big legs. And uh, I've got a trivia for you, though, Mr. Okay. Rich. On the Mets at that point in time, he was Mr. Right-Hand. Who was Mr. Left-Hand? Jerry Kuzman. There you go. There you go. I knew you knew. I had just had to try, you know. <laughs> and and uh, the, the amazing Mets, uh, they got him Gary Gentry. This is in the Wayback Machine. Gary Gentry was like their third pitcher behind those two. You know who the fourth pitcher was on the amazing Mets? Uh, no. Young guy. May have been a rookie. I don't, I don't know. If he wasn't a rookie, he was close. Nolan Ryan. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Nolan Ryan and Tom Seaver were on the same staff at one time. Uh, let's shift to uh, Jay Lucas coming to Coach Cal's staff. Uh, his dad, uh, John Lucas, a great player at Maryland, a uh, longtime fixture of the NBA, um, has done wonderful work uh, in helping uh, players get through substance abuse issues with his program down in Houston. Uh, so through his, his dad, I'm sure Jay Lucas is one of those guys that knows everybody. Yeah, and I think it was a terrific hire because of that. I mean, his dad's involved, it has been involved in the AAU, and Jay has been involved, his other brother's been involved. So it, it, there must be, and uh, I don't know Jay, I know his dad, I know his dad through Tom DeSelke. We work together, and Tom's a longtime uh, NBA, was a longtime NBA coach, and he and uh, Luke were best buddies. He, uh, he stayed by Lucas with some of his problems before he got over the hump. And the, he and uh, Luke were best friends, so uh, that's how I know the dad, the young fellow. But tells me there must be quite a few young basketball players in Texas, and this guy will know where they are. And Kentucky's had good success in Texas already. Uh, PJ, uh, the Harrisons, De'Aaron Fox, etc. And let's talk that, that uh, you know that that helps. But this uh, young fellow, I think, will help even more. Quick thought on the NBA last night. Miami's up 2-0 now on the Bucks, and a couple of the Kentucky guys played a key role last night. Uh, Tyler had 17, and Bam hit a huge shot, and Bam doing battle with uh, Giannis and the, and the rest of the Bucks side. Uh, Bam has had quite a year. Well, he really has. Uh, he's developed into a score, a score. Not that he can't shoot the three, but he's not asked to be uh, shoot the three. So the guy has scored in and around the paint. He's owned that area with block shots and rebounding. This guy has uh, he's gotten older. He's grown his game. He's coachable, and he works his butt off. That's why he has been successful. I'm kind of thinking that uh, Miami it would be a good bet to pick up one of the Kentucky guys in the second round of the draft just because Riley uh, seems to uh, really love players coming out of the Kentucky program now. Well, you know, Randy Embry, ex-Kentucky basketball player, terrific high school coach, won a state championship, does some scouting for Riley uh, up in this area. So, yeah, he's very familiar. But I watch the NBA um, in, in the bubble. You know what? If Quickly can't play in that league, you know, oh. I, I just I, I don't, I don't get it. The guy can shoot it. He's quick enough. He's got uh, good size. He's going to get stronger. But that league now is playing to Quickly's strength. And I think he's... You know, I think he's going to be uh, be a guy that's going to probably go to the G League along with Nick, but they will come out of that uh, in, in a short period of time and, and become solid contributors. 
And he'll be money at the free throw line if late in the game if you need him. Mm-hmm. Mike well, Pratt. The truth, man. Thank you much. At Mike Pratt 22 on Twitter. And we'll talk to you next week and see how much money you want on the Derby. There you go, buddy. I'm putting 100 on the winner. <laughs> Mike Pratt joining us here on the Leach Report of the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. Mike's weekly visits presented by Boone's Butcher Shop in Bardstown. We'll get to a quick break. Back with Justin Rowland. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Coming up next, it's Kentucky Sports Radio with Matt Jones. 27 past the top of the hour. Back to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. Bring on Justin Rowland from CatsIllustrated.com. We'll start with a little Kentucky football and the commitment of Jagger Burton on Sunday night. Uh, a big get, obviously, and um, part of a, uh, a trend where Kentucky is not completely locked down the state, but pretty close, right? Yeah, they've got the two highest-ranked players in the state in this class, and both of them are Frederick Douglass and, and Burton and DeKel Crowdis. And, you know, for, for a program that doesn't have as much in-state talent as some other programs in the SEC, uh, locking down the talent that is in-state is really important. And, you know, Vince Morrow started recruiting in the state a couple of years ago, and he's really reversed their fortunes there. I'm sure John Schlarman played a role because offensive linemen – Love him, and uh, it bodes well for the future that schools like Frederick Douglass and North Harden, which have really become kind of talent-producing factories, Kentucky's pretty much locked down those schools, so so they should be able to, to get more guys from those places in the future. Kentucky's developing a, a bit of an identity with its offensive line, the big blue wall, hashtag, etc. That's right, yeah. You know, every program, based on what it does well on the field, is going to find it easier to recruit certain positions and more difficult to recruit other positions. And, you know, it's interesting. They've done so well with receivers in this class, but I don't think they're going to struggle with offensive linemen for for a while just because of the identity that they forged up there. They had a great offensive line class last year with John Young and Jeremy Flax and guys like that, and, uh, and with Burton headlining it this year. It should be another group, and that should be a tradition that continues. Chat with Justin Rowland. You can read him at catsillustrated.com. On Twitter, it is at Roland Rivals. We'll uh, get to our bottom of the hour break. Come back and uh, talk a little bit about the upcoming Kentucky football season as the Wildcats are set to kick it off on the 26th down at Auburn. It's the Leach Report Radio Network. We'll be right back. You're tuned to Talk Radio 1080 and The Leach Report. And visit TomLeachKY.com for more news and views on the cats. Second half of our show for this Thursday. Justin Rowland is with us from CatsIllustrated.com. Kentucky is coming up on their second scrimmage of... I guess what is still the training camp mode that they're in uh, this Saturday. Um, we know the the big names, the main names. Justin, any, are you hearing anything about guys that fans should be paying attention to that maybe are not as prominently featured on the radar screens? You know, I think honestly, by now we have a pretty good idea of uh, of what to look for with this Kentucky team. You know, with so many returning starters and contributors, there are fewer questions in some respects as 
for outsiders, probably a less interesting team than some other teams this offseason. So everybody's watching the freshmen. And, you know, just things and anecdotes that I've heard have kind of been confirmed by coaches on the record. Bo Allen looks really good, accurate, goes to the right place with the ball. Ernest Sanders at receiver seems to have a nice rapport with him and is back to, to being really explosive after a hamstring injury kind of hampered him as a senior. And then that freshman defensive line class, one of the questions this season is how many of those guys are going to be able to break into an experienced and deep rotation. You know, you've got a lot of returning guys in the defensive line, but arguably on paper the best defensive line class in the program's history coming in, and uh, it'll be interesting to see to see who breaks in. But, yeah, they, they, they don't have a lot of questions compared to some other teams. As far as, though, what you made the comment as far as, uh, some, I guess, a, not a team that creates maybe a lot of buzz if you're not a, a close follower of them, because they don't have the highly touted quarterback. You've got a quarterback that's coming back off an injury. It's a running back by committee room. Uh, it is. Um, there's nobody in the receiver core that um, you know s- stands out. Lynn Bowden became a individual star over the course of last season and, and got a lot of attention, but he's gone. Defensively, there's no you know one guy that uh, anybody's talking about. It's but uh, in, from the standpoint of potential for success, they're built really well. A great offensive line, you know, depth at all these positions we're talking about where there's not one guy, but there's a bunch of guys that seem uh, supremely competent. That's right, yeah. It, it's kind of a by-committee approach, and I, I, I think that sells them a little bit short because I agree. they've got the SEC's top returning sack man on defense, you know, it's a dynamic transfer from LSU in the secondary, one of the nation's best defense, a great offensive line, but these are, these are things that aren't really sexy compared to, you know, what other teams are bringing back. That's not worse. Um, but I, I think the perception of Kentucky outside of Kentucky nationally is that it's a program to respect. But I think people, you know, look at the win total or the win projection, 4.5 in Vegas. They, they expect that Kentucky will beat you if you have some serious flaws, but they don't think they're going to beat Auburn and Florida and Georgia. So I think the first game against Auburn is really going to shape the way this team is talked about for, for much of the season. Um, and, and that'll be a great test, and I, I don't think it's a bad matchup for Kentucky. I've said I think the Auburn game sem- similar matchup-wise to Florida the last couple of years in that it's a skill position challenge, but Kentucky should have the edge in the trenches. Yeah, I mean, you, you make a good point about uh, what that could, what Kentucky's perception could be if they go down there and show up well, go and win a game against uh, a team like that uh, to start the season on the road. If you do it, then all of a sudden you're going to be probably – even potentially Tennessee, but certainly the next two games you're going to be favored. And uh, if you're an underdog, it wouldn't be by much under those circumstances at Tennessee. And all of a sudden you're a, a program that has a chance to, to get out of the gate fast and, and create some real uh, momentum just in terms of attention. Yep, that's right. It's a really unconventional season, but I would say I don't want to put too much in a season opener, but I can't remember a more consequential season opener for Kentucky with, you know, everything is conference play and everything is is jockeying your in your division. And, you know, we've been pointing to this year for so long, given the experience and what they return. This could be a really special season. Auburn's a high-profile team, but not one without flaws, and you're never going to play in front of a less imposing atmosphere at Jordan-Hare Stadium. 
I don't want to say this is a game they need to win, but if it's going to be the season that fans have been hoping for, it almost is. And, you know, the line suggests people don't expect them to win it, but I, I'm, I'm kind of scratching my head as to why the line has been between 7 and 11 points because on paper I don't see that kind of difference between the teams. Yeah, it, you know, it's a little like it, what you're, you're, the point you're making, a little like the Florida game in 2018 that you know, it, it that had become just an albatross around Kentucky's neck, that streak, and it just needed to be – Address. It was a box that they had to check if they were going to break through, and they did and ended up having a 10-win season. I mean, if I were an Auburn fan, I would be concerned about this game. They lose a lot of talent on the defensive line. They, they're Auburn, so they recruit well, but they don't recruit like Alabama or Georgia. They've got some skill position players and a, and a pretty good quarterback, but not a quarterback that, that doesn't make mistakes or that's going to pass for 3,500 yards. If you're looking at Auburn, you're like, our strength is the passing game, potentially. And Kentucky had the number four pass defense in the country and returns every. So their strength is on a Kentucky strength. And Kentucky is going to be very comfortable playing the kind of game that Gus Malzahn often does, a very conservative game plan. You know, it's going to be low scoring. I just, I think if I were an Auburn fan, I would be a little bit concerned about the matchup and an experienced team going on the road with a chip and something to prove. Georgia lost their projected starting quarterback yesterday. Jamie Newman, transfer from Wake Forest, grad transfer, has opted out of the season. And uh, the other transfer, JT Daniels from USC that's there, still hadn't been cleared to uh, return to contact action yet. Uh, So this is quite a curveball to throw at Georgia just a couple of weeks before the season starts. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, there's no shortage of opinions on why this happened with Jamie Newman. I just, as an outsider, I would I would wonder if he regrets leaving Wake Forest. It was a good situation for him. And, you know, there was a question as to whether he was going to be the starter. I know Daniels has scrimmaged, even though he has not been cleared for, for contact or full go. Um, you know, I think Daniels is probably going to be the starter once he's cleared. Uh, I guess Dwan Mathis, I, I hope I'm not getting the name wrong, has looked pretty good so far in George's work, so the depth there is not horrible. Assuming Daniels is healthy, but, you know, the story is just how crazy the quarterback carousel is nationally. So many quarterbacks transferring that, you know, you, you can't even transfer as a quarterback and be sure that somebody won't transfer after you in the same class and take your spot. It's just I, I don't envy those guys having to make those decisions. You can read Justin Rowland at catsillustrated.com. Follow on Twitter at Roland Rivals. He joins us on Thursdays here on the Leach Report. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Joining us on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. Kentucky Hemp Works is a family-run, Kentucky-proud operation out of Christian County, down in the western end of Kentucky. It's locally grown, locally processed hemp products. CBD oil, hemp seed oil, hemp root salve, uh, hemp-infused body lotion and hand sanitizer. Just an amazing array of products that you can make using the hemp plant. And you can get educated on all of that through their new YouTube channel for Kentucky Hemp Works. They're also on Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. So check them out for great info and giveaways. KentuckyHempWorks.com. Kentucky Hemp Works is more than just CBD. We'll be right back with Randy Moss of NBC. Look for the Leach Report on Facebook. Show updates, contests, and other cool stuff. Check it out today. That's the big news out of the NBA. 
Reports coming out that the Brooklyn Nets have hired Steve Nash as their new head coach. Interesting hire. Uh, I think he's never been a head coach before, but that's not the first time an NBA team has gone down that road. And um, just knowing his background, I could think he could be a uh, you know a, a guy who you know Steve Kerr type uh, in terms of success. Um, you know, walk into Kevin Durant. Kyrie Irving there with the Nets. So, interesting hire. Uh, I would think if you're a Brooklyn Nets fan, exciting hire to pick up Steve Nash. Lynn Bowden with the uh, Raiders working toward his first game next week. And I saw a story where the Raiders GM Mike Mayock was talking about Bowden and a, a meeting where John Gruden, to the way Mayock tells the story, John Gruden, the head coach, throws a lot of stuff out early in, in the meeting moves on to something else, and then towards the end they come back and are looking for players to see how much they retained from that first 10 minutes of stuff that Gruden gave them. And uh, Mayock said that Bowden was able to give it back, give them back everything that Gruden had said, uh, which uh, apparently really impressed Gruden. And not surprising, that was a thing I said many times last season with Bowden, it was so impressive is uh, not what he was doing athletically, but what he was doing uh, mentally to manage everything um, really had to be smart to manage all of the, the things that he was doing in mid season to make that transition to quarterback, because it wasn't just, you may look like they were just snapping the ball to him and he was, you know, running around, but uh, there was a lot more to it and, you know, learning, uh, you know, motions and things to call, things he had to see, react to, uh, as he grew in the position, picking up on what he was seeing from the defense. So even though it was not a sophisticated passing game they were doing, they were doing some sophisticated stuff. So uh, neat to see that that story. Uh, now, Mayock did caution that you know, Bowden's going to uh, be, you know, it's not like he's going to make an immediate splash for them because he said they're, asking him to play a different position running back uh and also throwing a lot of things at him as he transitions from college football to the nfl going to return some punts apparently so maybe he can at least initially make an impact there but um i think he may be one of those guys that uh, comes along faster than they think once once things start um because there's just so many ways they can phase him in initially just you know with uh, short passes so we mentioned the punt returns um, some designed runs and then they can grow it from there if he does well so kind of excited to see what he does with the now las vegas raiders we're working to land randy moss of nbc to talk a little bit about the kentucky derby while we do that let's uh, get caught up on our final break on this thursday edition of the leach report we'll come right back on the leach report radio network served up by wild eggs of lexington We're unsuccessful in our efforts to reach Randy Moss. We'll see if we get Randy rebooked for tomorrow. So we went to the bullpen, and I guarantee you this is going to look work out a whole lot better than when the Reds go to the bullpen. We found Kenny Rice, Randy Moss's NBC colleague. <laughs> I've set the bar low for you to clear. How are you, my friend? Good to be with you, Tom. Doing well. Are you at Churchill? Yeah, it's raining up here today, so it kind of gives a derby week feel, doesn't it? We got yes, that's a... 
you and I are, look like drowned rats every time we see each other every spring. Yeah, so apparently, you know, they say, they being the weather people, that this is going to pass. And we actually I've heard that before. And yeah, yeah, I've heard that, especially the year that it rained all day to justify yeah. it. Yeah. But uh, hopefully we'll have a dry derby. <laughs> Uh, you were one of the, the few uh, people covering the Belmont Stakes on track. You and Brittany Erton for NBC were there when Tis the Law won. Uh, an impressive win that followed in the Travers. So now he's the, the biggest favorite, I guess, since Arazi or, or Easy Goer coming into the Derby. Is there any vulnerability that you see? Well, I, I think that he's by far the best in the field. He looks that way. He hasn't taken a misstep. Uh, but again, as we know, you know, it's going to be 77 days since he won the Belmont, although he looked great in the Travers. I don't know if I'd make him the odds that he is, but uh, I'd certainly make him a strong favorite. But I think Honor AP is a legitimate horse, and uh, so is Authentic, both coming in from the West. And they would probably be, as we see, they're the top three. But, Tom, I can't remember a year when the opening line had eight of the 18 horses at 50 to 1. I mean, that's how many, you know, there's probably eight horses in this race, maybe nine, that wouldn't be here if it's for the first Saturday in May. I think people are just taking a shot, taking a chance. But uh, it's going to be tough to beat Tiz the Law. I was telling someone yesterday that, you know, it, after you take the top, maybe Baffert's two plus Tiz the Law and Honor AP, um, you know, after that, I could see about anybody running, you know, that, that you know, if, say, one of those four, two of those four didn't fire – then about anybody in the rest of the group could get up and hit the board. And so I guess that's why they're there. Yeah, you know, and let's face it, if we had a three-year-old wide-open year like this, except for maybe three horses, would you take a shot at trying to get a piece of the pie? And I think that's what they're going to do. And, you know, there's some horses in here, like I like Enforceable uh, and Soleil Volante. I think they're kind of interesting horses that could get up and and, uh, be on the board for sure. Uh, But, you know, after 65 to 1 country house last year, who's to ever say? I mean, in our lifetime, we've seen three of the four biggest upsets, haven't we? Uh, Jockable yeah. behind that burn country house. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I can't say no one should be in this field. <laughs> Strategically, I think uh, one of the interesting aspects to this is the, from the post draw, you've got Honor AP in 16 with 55-year-old Mike Smith, who has a couple of derby wins. Uh, on the outside, you've got Johnny Velasquez on Authentic, who has a derby win and is a Hall of Famer and uh, is probably the, the next oldest guy. And in between them, you have the youngest jockey riding in the derby, 25-year-old Manny Franco on the 3-5 to five favorite. Yeah, how about that? I mean, isn't that interesting that uh, uh, you summed it up, that you know Manny sandwiched in there and that all three of the horses that – you figure on paper should be the three best horses are all side by side. Uh, I, I don't know if that would happen. I don't know if so much has happened this year, as we know. It's just been so different. Uh, but, you know, I think in some ways it's not a bad place for Tins the Law to be. I don't think it'll compromise him. Uh, I'm not sure it'll actually compromise any of them that much, Tom, in this field. I think they've got enough strategical speed to get out and be in a position. Uh, that they're, It's certainly better that they are there than one, two, and three uh, if they had to take a choice. The thing that is the probably the most iconic moment of Kentucky Derby Day uh, for people at their derby parties all over the country, or if you're fortunate enough to be there at the track, is when the horses come on the track and they start to play my old Kentucky home. Do you know how yet that's going to work Saturday? What no, I really don't. Uh, we're, we're still kind of going over some of the particulars of that. 
Uh, I think they will, to an extent, try to do something that's, uh, you know, close to tradition. But I don't know if uh, we'll have the complete thing. And like you said, you know, being at the Belmont, it was just so interesting, especially on the undercard race. You'd be out in the paddock. And then all of a sudden you look on the board and realize a race was going on. Uh, you know, you, you realize the horses had left the paddock earlier. They were going out to a race. But, you know, just the time here, any kind of even a murmur of a crowd has really been different. And, uh, you know, even up here, the only people I've seen today is everybody I'm going to be working with uh, just about. And, and, of course, Randy and Jerry, Mike Carrico, they're up in Stanford, Connecticut. So uh, the, everybody's still spread out there. So it's been really different. And you'll be up here, and, and you know, you and I will probably be like the you know two of the four people talking to each other because everybody's so spread out. What about the uh, NBC coverage? What's your old schedule for Friday and Saturday? We're going to be on with the Oaks from three to six on NBCSN on Friday, and then on Saturday it's a full blown show, two uh, thirty to seven thirty, just uh, like like old times in that regard. And there's so many good stories to tell with all these horses, you know some. Like Finnick the Great, the one-eyed horse, uh, uh, King Guillermo that's got uh, Victor Martinez, the former baseball star, owns him. And, you know, there's stories like that. Uh, we just won't have the fashions. <laughs> we won't be talking about what somebody's wearing that day. No millionaires, no, no millionaires row, no red carpet. No, the only millionaires we'll see are a few of the trainers walking over. Yeah, one of the neat stories I saw this week, uh, Todd Pletcher, I read, is not coming in. He's staying at Saratoga. He's battling for the trainer's title. There's some big races up there. So he's he's found a pretty good assistant to help him with his long shot money moves in his former boss, Wayne, 85-year-old Wayne Lucas. Yeah, and I said, and isn't that something that, that, that uh, you know, that the, uh, the, it comes back, the pupil is helping the master now. Yes. You know, they've made great friends and, I guess it's been 30 years since they've been associated with the same horse in a derby. And, you know, it's kind of like the founding youth for Wayne. He, he's recovering from uh, COVID-19, thank goodness, and he just celebrated his, well, he celebrated his birthday today, I think, Wayne's birthday, actually. 85. So, uh, yeah. 85 today. So I think it's kind of a fountain of youth for him, and uh, it'll be fun to see. And, you know, Money Moves is the only horse in this race that's faced older competition. You know, all the things that you usually talk about, you know, they've never run a mile and a quarter, they haven't faced older horses. And, and this year, throw that all out the window because uh, it's kind of a whole, it's a fresh new start. Indeed it is. Kenny, thank you much. Always a pleasure, my friend. I'll see you up here, Tom. Thank you. Kenny Rice, strong appearance out of the bullpen here on the Leach Report. We'll see you tomorrow. If you have a question for Tom, email it to leachreport at gmail.